makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good morning and good afternoon and good evening. Welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. And now, in addition to relativity, this is First Forces Radio. And I send you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus, where the active breath of the Muncie Lenape Nation lives in what is now temporarily called the Catskill Mountains by the settlers, Dutch and Americans. Regardless, they are the highlands of the Esopus. I'm Teokasen Ghost Horse, and this is an all-Native-hosted, all-Native-produced First Voices Radio. And from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, the producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer ally guide is the Malcolm Byrne. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Our theme song is Tahi by Moana and the Moa Hunters. And now we'd like to interview our first guest, Deborah Anderson, director, producer, and writer, award winning filmmaker and photographer of Indigenous, Black, Irish, and Scottish descent. Her photographic work has hung in galleries both in Europe and the US, including the world class. Leica Galleries, who have hosted three shows for her Women of the White Buffalo series. Her first feature documentary film project, Arouse, included a fine art photographic book, was <laughs> in the present being. moment. Yeah, because it's yeah. so funny when I think about what I've done before and now where I am and uh, what I'm, the subjects I'm tackling and what I want to focus on, all this other work, it's just, it feels like it was a byproduct of getting me to where I am now, you know? Well, that's great. No, thank you for that. It's kind of a, I'm not in in that, because after watching this film, I'm not in a, yeah, a English-speaking mind, you know, so. It's, it's, just, it's, I don't know how important it really is. It's, I think what's yeah. important is the subject at hand and how we tackle yeah. that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and let's begin, when I opened it up, the scene, stunning, the, the land, but it's just the beauty of the land and speaking, we're having a, therapeutic session so to speak when i look at the land and and that's how it feels it felt i was at home with this film the the topic women of the white buffalo it stood out and it seems that that's the backbone 
of a lot of indigenous folks around the world in, in that same context of it's their culture, it's their language, it's the land. And what have we forgotten in the Western world about who we are that in this case, the Lakota as indigenous peoples can show us who we are. And welcome, by the way, awesome honor to have you here. I'm, I'm the, really, I'm, I get to sit with you. I'm, I'm so blessed. I, I'm, you know, when I was asked to, to do the show, I just thought, wow, I know you are a Lakota man. And I know that this film is nothing new because you've lived it. So I'm always a little nervous sitting with someone that, that whose story I'm, I'm telling in this film for fear that I got it wrong, you know, for fear that I didn't honor you in the right way. So thank you for, for having me to cast. I, I appreciate that, uh, that you want to talk with me today. So thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. And in, in bringing out the context of this film, we'll begin with what Sundro's Iron Shell came with. And she said, the mind, the body, the heart, and the spirit. And among quote, and we can go from here, Carol Einrope Herrera, the, the late elder, Lakota elder in Pine Ridge, said, we excel so much at being white that we forget those teachings from our culture, who we are. They, then our children go on without knowing who they are. In search of who they are, they're going to get into the wrong spirit, alcohol, drugs, and relationships. And that's a quote. And that's the beginning of truth, what's happening on a reservation, because we can always present it in a, the old stereotypical romance, romanticized version of what Native people are. So let's begin with that. And thank you again. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I remember just to start, you know, I was accepted into the tribe, the being there in, in South Dakota on the Rosebud and the Pine Ridge Reservation because of the belief that Carol Einrope Herrera had in not just me, but the need to share her story and bring in other women to share their stories. So it was by way of her that I was accepted into the tribe because she was someone that really wanted to lift her people up. So when she got the phone call from me where I said, you know, I, I had this, this meditation around what it is that I could do to support the voices of the indigenous peoples, because I had been offered a photographic show at the Leica gallery in Beverly Hills. And they had asked me, what will I be showing? And I just knew it was time to move from shooting, taking photographs of these celebrated people. And I've shot some amazing people, Elton John, George Clooney, pink for her album covers. I just knew that it was time to speak to something bigger than myself and to tell stories by way of making a film of people and their circumstances within the Native communities because I'd Googled murdered and missing Indigenous women and saw that the languaging around that was still so antiquated. There were no numbers tallying how many have died or have gone missing. And I realized that this was something that really, like you said, that romanticized idea of what a Native life looks like is not is not real. It's not true. And so I was drawn in to, to those stories. And by way of Carol Einrup Herrera, she brought me in and welcomed me into the community and after two days of knowing her, introduced me as her sister. And it was a way of her letting the people know that they were to trust me 
And it was just me. And I had a very small team of four people. Um, but I spent a couple of weeks just with Carol and I for hours a day and she would tell me all the stories of what was happening on the reservation. And there was a moment that she said, I don't know if the children care enough to move us to that space of healing. And I, I just know that by sharing my story, at least we can get people involved in that conversation. So, and the conversation that you talk about, to me, I, I envision sitting in the houses, probably need renovation, probably need being repaired. The plumbing is bad. The outside is probably cold. The windows are boarded up maybe, but also the conversations around the ceremonies, the, the conversations around the fires per se, that brought what the heart of the matter really is about in this case, the Lakota people, but the, the shared complexity of, of Native cultures in North America and around the world, really. What did you feel that you said at that moment that you knew that you needed to bring this word out by film? Well, it, it was always about letting the women's voices be heard and not mine, right? But as a filmmaker, you know it's going to be through your lens on some level. So for me to be able to immerse myself really within the community and live with the people... I just listened. I kept listening and listening and Carol imparted so much wisdom. And ultimately I, I realized nobody's having these conversations outside of the native communities. But I realized that when we look at what is on the news, what we see on a daily basis, what is given to us by way of uh, the media, when we're not speaking about our first nations, we're not speaking about the first peoples of this country. And so in getting to sit in, in ceremony with them and to sit in sweat with Carol and have do it, doing it the right way, you know, coming in and, and being with the people and doing it the right way. I, I, I just knew the, 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 the piece for me was to be the bridge, how to best parlay these stories into a tangible piece of, of art by way of this film, because I really believe that art has the power to reach millions of people and it has the power to shift people's perception and shift their consciousness and, and move people to want to act and, and do something to be part of the greater change. So I'm there on the reservation. And as you know, it has its own vortex. It's almost its own force field. And to see these people living in ways that should not be happening here in America, let alone on the planet, that this is on your doorstep, I couldn't ignore what everybody has been ignoring for so long. It just, it just, my heart was broken open. And I just knew that by way of the support of Carol and her introducing me to the right women, I would be able to hold the space that would allow them to, to speak their, their story and to be heard. And really it's about being heard. And so I, someone said to me, why are you, why are you, why are you doing a movie on some of the most horrible stories? You know, speaking of the meth addiction and speaking about the rape and the and the murder and the missing women. You know, how are you gonna how are you gonna bring that and have people stay in their seats? And I said, I will show them the beauty because the culture is so beautiful, the people are so beautiful, their wisdom, the ancestral stories, the ceremony. It does something to your spirit. And so that is what I want to convey. So we will hear these stories and I pray I will give you an opportunity to sit with them in their homes and be taken over their landscape. And you see the four-legged ones and the winged ones. And somehow in there, you will get an opportunity to ask yourself, 
Am I being true to myself? Am I walking my true path? Because I kept hearing we have forgotten who we are. And to me, the Lakota still hold this, this understanding and all indigenous peoples, you know, hold this understanding and that remembrance is what is going to keep us in a, in, a, in a surviving space here on this planet, Mother Earth. As I was told, Mother is weeping. So I tried to parlay all this information and I believe that I, I did my best to do that in the, the film Women of the White Buffalo. So you leave with a sense of what can I do? How can my footprint be different? And what can I do to support the indigenous peoples that may be living right on my doorstep or, you know, I'm living on their land. Who am, who is the tribe that I live and I'm can, and, and are connected to? I think so many people don't even realize who their local tribe is. Sorry, that was a very long answer, but there's so much, there's so much to speak to. Thank you, Deborah Anderson, director, producer, and writer of the Women of the White Buffalo. And what I'm thinking is, you know, you mentioned the children and you mentioned the culture and, and I remember a quote, I think it was a quote about the constant assimilation. There's no cultural competence anymore. And the native people in this case, Lakota, are losing that. That's part of the poverty uh, or the result of the onslaught of colonization that in her first statement that we have become great at being white people, but we've forgotten who we were. And that would be offensive to a lot of people. I'm thinking not to be on her side, but it's what happened to them in the first place from wherever they came from, a loss of culture. And now to, re to redefine a culture called American, it's not really the same to me because I can say that and be, be Lakota and yet the American cloak is put over me. And I think a lot of that constant assimilation is happening even that the children don't know who they are because they're not that introduction ceremony. It's about survival and survival on a reservation. Yes, I, I think that's something that even though Carol did say that piece around, you know, we've forgotten who we are because we're so busy trying to to be white. And I, you know, I was really mindful that we don't speak in that in those terms in the film. So I, I, I re we really spoke about the non-Indigenous. We kept saying the non-Indigenous. I said, because I don't want to push the non-Indigenous peoples away from wanting to watch. So if we keep saying it's the white people, it's the white people, you know, it, we're, that's, that's not really where we're at now. Really, it's about taking accountability and being in that space of healing and wanting to, to, to build those bridges and have us and so I was privy to a lot of ceremony. I was gifted a lot of opportunity to be uh, with the women and pray and hear their song. And we we prayed every morning before we went out to actually tape and 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 capture these women. And when we sat with the women, we also prayed and we lit sage and really was very mindful about how we approached the stories so that they could really be in commune with spirit when we were talking together. So it wasn't me just showing up at the house with all the cameras and just onslaught. We were really mindful of how we entered into their, their home for them to feel comfortable enough to want to bring us into their home. And then they realized when they looked at the team, there's me who's, you know, indigenous Indian to the native, to the islands, to the Caribbean and African and Irish and Scottish. And my other team members are South American, Japanese mix, uh, American Irish. So 
And the best was when we met with Unshi Marie Brushbreaker, who's the elder who passed last year. She was 98 when we filmed her. She looked at all of us. And I will say the one that looks probably the most native to maybe possibly something indigenous to America would be me. She looked at the blonde man, Adam Shoma, who's one of my producers. And she said, you look just like my cousin. And we just start cracking up. I'm like, that is so, <laughs> so funny. Because again, you know, we talk about how mixed really the bloodline is within the indigenous culture. And so, you know, we speak about that in the film. And so I, I, I really tried to not be that in the film and really be more educational. So we, you know, we interviewed these women over a period of, of two and a half months. I went back and forth and sat with them and so much was said, I could have made nine movies for each woman specifically. So how you bring that much information into 86 minutes and give a history and show hope and gift possible outcome of how things can change was definitely a feat that I only really could have done with my writing partner, Charlotte Chatton, who came in and she watched all the interviews after I'd come back for a whole week, nine hours every day. She watched everything for actually a couple of weeks. And then based off of that, she said, okay, these are our subjects that we need to tackle. And there is so much, there is so much. So it was very, everything was very well thought through the lone Buffalo walking, the, the, the red dress that we have hanging on the side of a big highway. There was all these nuances just these little reminders of the bigger picture. The bigger picture I'm thinking about, and you're right about playing the victim and then saying, well, that's a perpetrator and it could go both ways and we have to be careful. And And I do that. And, and I want to quote the a lot of uh, my elders who basically say white is a way of thinking. It's not really the skin color, you know, to, to for listeners out there. And, you know, when we get into the red dress and it's a matrilineal society, like Carol Ironrope would say, Herrera would say, and that's what we're missing. And do you find a difference between there's a patriarchal society that we live in and then, but it's, but we're referring to the opposite where it's a matriarchal society, but yet the native people are saying it's a matrilineal society. Absolutely. And I, we've been speaking a lot about this, the idea of like, it's not about women bashing the men over the head and it all being about, you know, women being in charge and taking over. We, in order for us to survive what is coming and what we are now experiencing is we have to find the balance between the both. We are very much driven by the patriarchy, as we all know, that that is why we are suffering the way that we are. And we obviously know that this really is a time for especially the native women to be included in the, the global women's empowerment movement. We know this, yet hand in hand, it has to be a balance so that we hold both with respect and honor. Yet in order for it to, to come into balance, the women need to be seen and held and respected and honored. And so when we speak of numbers in the U.S. alone, where the highest number number of native women, sorry, the, the highest number of murdered and missing indigenous women are native, then we know there's, there's an issue within just that alone on a cultural basis of a continuum of the genocide and the oppression and suppression of the indigenous peoples. So it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between wanting to raise that, that vibration around women being heard, seen, honored, 
and the men really being able to meet them in a way that is honoring. And it isn't so much, oh, we need to go back to the matriarchal ways. Although I know Carol Einroth Pereira speaks of that. It's a case of, yes, having these beautiful groups of women, the sisterhood, that connection that women feel supported, loved, honored, and heard, and then the men meeting them in that balance so that we could more, more so walk together without this patriarchal um, dominance that is really killing this planet on many levels. It is. I'm going to go back to my mother who's 88 years old, and she talks about when, when I was parsed out to you, you go to boarding school, you go to that church and you go off and get your education, but you always come back and help the people. And I know Delcina, I think that's her name, Delcina, Chief Eagle talked about, this is what I have to do. And this is what she is, but I'm learning. I'm still learning from the children who impart wisdom just by experiencing that life on a reservation. I'm sure you ran through a lot of drug-induced uh, young people with, with meth and the results of them. But in it, like you say, it's deep culture surviving within that. When the time came for the patriarchal society the U.S. brought to, to the reservation, to the Native people, they went after the men. And it was the women that were the backbone, who kept the culture, who kept the languages. But now that's even in jeopardy, as, as Carol Einrop said, there is in jeopardy the language. And I think one of the quotes I read was 20,000 speakers in 2006. And here it is 2020. And there's only 2,000 fluent Lakota speakers on Pine Ridge. That to me is one of the keys. And she mentioned food sovereignty. She mentioned the water. She mentioned, you know, especially the language in order to get all of this return to this or make it flourish again, that consciousness is through those modalities of living with the food and, and the language. To me, that that's what we, to me, that that's what would, would be the key to ensuring survival, not just of the planet, but of all beings besides the, just the human beings. Absolutely. I, I met with Brian Deans, who's in the film, and he speaks about food sovereignty, and he speaks about how they wiped out the buffalo, the, the, you know, the American government over 100 years ago, wanting to be sure that they had control of the people. And he speaks about the history of that and how the Lakota ended up where they ended up. And it was really about them not being sovereign, them not being able to survive in the way that they were used to living on the plains. Many other facets, of course, to the story, but we, we do highlight that in the film. And so we speak about how they are fed now. And so when we look at a society that was eating buffalo meat, I know Sunrose speaks about this, because if we could just go back to eating buffalo meat, maybe we would all be doing much better. But instead, you know, the cancer, the diabetes, because of the food, the lack of clean water, the 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 food that they have available available to them, which I know you know well, comes from their uh, uh, their gas stations because of the way that they've been spread out on that 3,500 square miles of reservation. They can't even get to food sources that would be how they would survive a better life without the diabetes and the cancers and all the sicknesses that they have. And we speak about the brain not functioning 
in the fullest capacity because of the way that they're eating, drinking soda pop, as we speak of in the in the film, a candy bar is a dollar and a, and a bell pepper is four dollars. So inevitably, when you have no money, you're going to go for what you can afford and it'll satiate and give you some energy. But as we know, it's sugar and we know it's not good for you. And so the, the, the children, I think even them trying to uh, develop their own mental state of wellness is not available to them. This is this is just human stuff. This isn't even a cultural stuff or a because they're native or the color of their skin. This is just how the body functions stuff, you know, and just to, to be witness to the lack of food that would sustain a healthy way of being that they right there, right from the get go, right from the beginning of their lives, they're already being served uh, a, a, a negative um energy field, right? Food is so powerful. And, and so, of course, when we speak about what the, the indigenous peoples inherently would eat, laying off the land, having their buffalo, and, would, and we're doing polar opposite, how can you even compute how the system of, you know, the DNA are managing to survive? Just that alone, I think, is, is its own, that's its own film. I know that people have spoken about that subject. So there is, there is this um, one step forward, two step back, feeling on the on the reservation not having uh, a way of getting around no no bus system no no way of being able to actually get to to school or to the 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 hospitals when i was with karen carol heinrich Pereira, we basically had i was kind of her her taxi service which i really loved being that because i get to sit with her for a couple of hours as i would take her because she she had uh, diabetes and when she passed away a couple of years ago, her heart gave up. And I think that, you know, the, the metaphor for even that for me is that I think her heart gave up for many different reasons as she's witnessing this struggle with her and amongst her people and has watched it for the 70 years that she was on this planet. And I remember one of the last times I saw her, she was looking down to the floor and she said, I don't think they care. I think that the children don't care anymore. And this is when we speak of the idea of this assimilated way of thinking. They all have telephones that allow them to get on the internet, that allow them to do social media, that allow them to see what's happening in pop culture. And then, then they aspire to want to be these other things that are so far away from who they truly are. So it's a very hard line to walk. And again, you know, Carol showed me so much. And really, I think, the film gives an opportunity to hear the voices of what historically has been the voiceless. And you listen to Deborah Anderson, director and producer of Women of the White Buffalo. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse, and this is First Voices Radio. so small for a big woman, so soft for someone who must be so strong. Little daughter, I hold you in my arms, I laugh and am happy at your baby girl's smile. To say I feel good is not enough. Little daughter, I walk with you through the dimension called time. 
or what are minutes, days, or years compared to father, daughter, places, and eternity. Little daughter, you the delicate infant child, carry the innocent reality. I pray for your protection, prayers to help you through this life experience. Little daughter, the times I hold you next to me, I am flowing an infinity of love to fill the times I cannot hold you next to me. Little daughter, I am always with you, even when you cannot see me there. Sister, sister, I want to talk to the woman in you. We're under siege in a troubled time. Sister, sister, won't you hear my voice? I'm your brother, but I've made the mistakes of a man. Sometimes it's lonely being a man. The programming has its effect. Isolation is such a cruel thing. Sister, sister, won't you understand? They took your brothers, turned them into men. Like they took our sisters, turned them into women. Sister, sister, we are all the family of Earth. They have taken us away in their nuclear war. Taught us to compete and abuse and blame each other while we're all being used. Sister, sister, hear my heart. It's time to bring the family back. Together we must remember Earth. We must remember what life is all about. Sister, sister, I am your brother. Every time I've ever hurt you, I've always hurt myself. Sister, sister, hear my voice. It's all up to us. We have a choice. Crystal clear tears of salt come when my heart talks with sadness. The tears flow my emotional rivers. It's no damn use to pretend pain will not rise again. Crystal clear tears of salt help my heart to feel for something when I do not want to. Clear my vision, see my peace. Men don't cry. Indians are stoic. I tell that to my heart, my eyes. They just laugh at me. And sometimes when my spirit hurts, they make me cry. Crystal clear tears of salt purify my memory. Help me understand, this is not the beginning. Welcome back to the second half of First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse. And that was a Lakota lullaby, and I don't know who the singer is or where it comes from. Any of you who know out there, yeah, just uh, write to teokasin at gmail.com and let me know who that is, and uh, I'll reply. Well, we're going to go back to the second half of this interview with Deborah Anderson, who is a, who is a director and producer of 
women of the white buffalo. Hey, there's so much in this film and really enjoyed it. I understand, you know, where, where it is. And, and I often, with the radio program, I'm trying to, okay, how can I say this that people can sit in place that they can listen to not just the concepts, but the feeling that comes out of this film, actually. There's something that has to be done, but it can't be the same old way that that to send a government program or send rummage or whatever to the reservation. It has to be the sovereignty, the land sovereignty, and allowing the Native people to be traditional again because as the film says yes we have we have tribal jurisdiction over our own people but we don't have jurisdiction over non-natives in this case and it's still under federal jurisdiction and that's not sovereignty right so with saying these is in comes the mmiw the murdered and missing indigenous women and with that understanding the minimal attention that it was getting it seems to be getting more now but that's the ongoing issue with all of us and i said that the culture is kept by the women back when it couldn't be but they kept it and this is now knowing that this is the source of who we are is the women because we as men have to learn how in the lakota way to to keep that together and keep our honor as men so we can keep the cultures together uh i'm so glad you you understand that and and the other one that she said was the water. Um, I, I forget who said this, but the water, uh, the Minishoshe, uh, the pipeline, it's like they, they develop a pipeline to pump in water and there's fresh water underneath the ground that we can't even have wells to dig, but yet they're able to put a, an oil pipeline all the way through and so it comes in Standing Rock. Do you find that resilience still there on the reservation among the young people? Or did they give that up because the young people showed up in Standing Rock? It's, you know, it's, it, I never went to Standing Rock. I, some people had said to me, when that was happening, you should go, you should go and document. I'm like, they're arresting people and they're sending them out of the country. So I don't, I don't think we're going to be doing that in a hurry. You know, it's, it's it, you know, being someone that that is not American per se, I was very mindful about how I would want to use my voice or connect any of these things that we're speaking to. It was about time. And I've watched, there's another documentary that just came out about the women of Standing Rock. I believe it's called Women of Standing Rock. And it's it's dis, it's a little disheartening, to be honest, because they're still doing the pipeline. They're still doing the things that you have all fought so hard to stop them doing. And you wonder, when will it shift? When will it be enough? When will they stop wanting to desecrate these sacred lands, these sacred graves? When will they start honoring the peoples? And it's, as you said, this is your lifetime, your lifespan. You've watched this story continue to unfold. And I think the kids, the the young ones, if they weren't so addicted to their electronics, to their to their being online with the Facebook, the Instagram, the again, trying to fit into this other culture, which is breaking all of us apart. There is no, there is no connectivity on a soul level when it comes to any of these gadgets. It's just, oh, look what I'm doing with my life and look how great it is. And most people are not having that life at all. So the whole thing's an illusion. 
And that's why we keep wanting to come back home. You know, and I, I, I feel somehow this film is a, is a blueprint for us women, for all of us, as a reminder of the power that we hold and what we are capable of birthing in order for the shift to take place on this planet. And so women at this time, I, I, I heard a, a beautiful prophet that an elder, a, a native elder, I, I don't re- recall what tribe, I'm sure somebody will have heard this, that a spider will come and spin a web around this planet, Great Mother Earth. And it'll be a woman that will touch that web. There are many parts to this, this story, And ultimately, in touching that web, it will bring the great healing necessary to this planet. So there is very much a force field of the divine feminine rising. And really, it is our job to teach our children to remember that part of themselves by way of speaking to their indigenous roots and culture and understanding. And people that have watched this film who are of native... um, tribes in America. I've I've played it to to many different uh, indigenous peoples. And they've said by watching Delacina Chief Eagle speak about the remembering or hearing Sunrose speak about what we need to remind our children of and having Carol Einrich Pereira speak in her language, they immediately want to remember their roots. They want to remember their teachings. They want to remember their language. And as Naomi speaks of in the film, she says, there is, a, there is a frequency in the language that it's an ever-evolving language. How beautiful is that? It just, it makes me want to cry to think that your language is so powerful that it always changes. It's so beautiful to me. And that only 2,000 people speak that fluently. And you have, oh gosh, you're, the, the number, I, I shouldn't quote numbers as far as how many Lakotas are, are here in, in the States, but I know you have a, a global family of Lakota um, because there's a lot of ceremony that takes place in South America that is that is driven by the Lakota way of life. And over in Europe, I, I've heard of other groups as well. And to, to forget that piece, that the language itself is a medicine and the youth are not learning it, that it's not... A, 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 I believe should be, but it's not given to the Lakota children as a necessary learning at school that they should know their language is 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 shocking to me. You know, I've done a lot of uh, programs about how language or culture is forbidden, in, especially in South Dakota over the years, and it comes and goes, and it's not the curriculum now with with teaching other people within South Dakota, but there are actually 20 or 16 states also wanting the same legislation, the, the CRT, the, the cultural, uh, the critical race theory out and not really talk about the truer history. But in closing, in, in closing, um, I wanted to, to talk one more time about the, I think it was Naomi who said that they didn't finish the job. Yeah, they try to erase us, but they didn't finish the job. They finished the job, and and I, I see the resilience in that statement. Uh, it's it's like trying to get rid of nature, but but it's a lifeline that you can't really get rid of because this this is who we are as indigenous peoples all over the place, no matter what we're going through, and that's the indigeneity in all humans. And someday soon, if not sooner, it's going to have to be this way again, that we have to rely on the earth, not as a resource, um, as property, but 
as a source of life as your your little friend there barking in the background <laughs> is, is totally in that consciousness, right? Absolutely. I Well, I took my dogs, that was Brando in the background. I took my dogs to shoot, you know, when we were going to go and film. And I remember my producer said, what are the dogs going to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know, chase squirrels or I, I dogs are going to be dogs. I said, ultimately, we need them, the energy, you know, just to be present in the moment and to remember that presence is the most important moment that we have. So there was no like arriving and, and, and being so out of body and just trying to get a film done. It was very much led by prayer and that remembrance. And when we first got there, we went, went in, in the end of February and it was minus 20 degrees. And my team were like, why are we here now? I said, well, she is beautiful no matter what. So we did film during the summer as well. So you do get the sense of seasons living on the reservation. And then you get also a sense of what that looks like and how cold it is and how they are still surviving with, you know, most of the reservation, not having electricity or running water. And ultimately their reverence to the land and to mother is really exactly like you said, why they are still here. And I know that part of me is so much instilled because of my father. And my father, who's also a musician, has written and, and performed with many indigenous peoples over the 55 years of his career. And I've been witness to that language. So I understood going in that it, this isn't just the story of the people. This is really the story of mother. And how do I try and bring that into this film was by showing it. And so we hear one story and we get to see another. And then the music and the, the singers, the Lakota voices, Delacina Chief Eagle, Eagle sings with my father at the end. All of that parlays into the richness of the story and who you are as Lakota people. And again, I will just say, Tio Kosan, thank you so much for having me because I am just a bridge to bringing these stories to those that have not ever had the opportunity to sit with a Native person. And I do believe, as Carol Einrich Pereira said, this is not a film just for the non-Indigenous people. It's also for our people. And the fact that I've shown it now um, to, to various groups, and now that it's out, and I'm looking at the reviews on our social media pages from the Lakota people who have now seen it and recognizing themselves in it and saying to me, I did a good job and that everyone needs to see the film. It just says so much to this piece, which I believe is, is totally spirit led. So I have deep gratitude to you for, for taking the time to, to host me today. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here. Anything um, else that I might've for forgotten? Just maybe, you know, that obviously it's streaming on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and Vudu. And, you know, my big prayer is if you like the film to, to write a review so we can get more people to join the conversation. And also on the website, womenofthewhitebuffalo.com, there is a page where you can take a look at all the grassroots organizations that are based on the Rosebud and Pine Ridge Reservation, and you can do your part by wanting to support any of these organizations. They are not government run. They are not supported by the government. They're supported by the people. I've met most of them. And if they're not somebody that I've met, then Sunrose Einshell, who helped me put the list together, she knows they're either family or relatives in some way. So my, my, my heart really speaks to this idea of reciprocity, that we continue to exchange our gifts with one another 
and just remember who we are so that we can walk a path that really is about honoring the great mother earth. And thank you, Deborah Henderson, for being on First Voices Radio and bringing the news about women of the white buffalo. Well, we're going to continue this stream of interviews with our next guest, Scott Frazier. Scott Frazier is a Santee and enrolled Crow tribe citizen, is currently executive director and indigenous liaison for Project WET. And recently he formed a new company called Project Indigenous, which is the mission of promoting wellness, diversity, and environmental consultation to indigenous peoples. And we talk about the 150th anniversary of Yellowstone National Park, which is taking place in 2022. And now about the buffalo, about Yellowstone. Now, this is about Yellowstone National Park. Hey, Scott, thank you for joining us. And tell us a perspective about what is really going on and uh, why they've included Native people this time around. In recent years, you know, the park has really tried to reach out to the Native communities, and so they've established a list of 27 tribes that the park recognizes as these are the tribes that have ownership to the park. Only 27 tribes. And how they came by that number, I don't know. One of the things that has been always said, that Indians were afraid of Yellowstone, and I don't believe that at all. I don't think Indians were afraid of Yellowstone. I don't think they were afraid of the geysers. I think they were amazed by the geysers. I don't think they were afraid of them. You know, our our ancestors were very, very strong and we could not live the way they did anymore. We've been too, we're too soft. (laughs) But yeah, and and one I, I ha- also have to say is that this this year is going to be a lot of people coming forward with stories pre 150th and during and uh, as the park was established there's going to be a lot of people coming forward with stories and I hope the native people get on that and 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 tell their stories and share their stories. What I've worked really hard to tell the park is. If I recognize the United Nations uh, Declaration of Indigenous Rights, I cannot tell tribal stories. Only a tribal representative can tell those stories. That they have to be approved by the tribe. And so I, I just tell them that my first experience, 1959, I was at Old Faithful the day before the earthquake. I was in the park when they had the fires. I was in the park with the people when they introduced the wolves. I've protested the slaughter of the buffalo. Those are the things that I've done. And so I don't really tell any of the stories that I've been told by historians, tribal historians about Yellowstone area. Well, Scott Frazier, I've done some research. Okay, what is a nature walk in indigenous thinking? What is a field trip in a in indigenous thinking, what are campfires? What are programs? And what are nature talks? These are all kind of foreign ideas. This is what is promoting as touristy. You can come and do all these things in this land, but only at a certain time. But they also ask for a fee, which has been, it's not a new thing. It seems like it's been forever to ask for, you got to pay to come and see these natural wonders. Your thoughts on that? We've been so colonized it's going to be really hard to discern, you know, what's an indigenous perspective of Yellowstone and, and what is something that we're taught as citizens of the United States. 
Yellowstone is recognized worldwide. It's recognized for its wolves and it's recognized for the buffalo and old faithful. We as indigenous people, we, we go into Yellowstone, most people, I, I don't know the percentage, but it's really very high. It's like somewhere in the 80 percentile. People don't leave their cars. People don't wander more than a mile off the road in Yellowstone. So as native people, you know, we want to get out and, and breathe the air. And we want to get out and walk in the forest. We want to see a bear in the forest because it might give us something. That's how we look at the park. Non-Indians are the colonized people. They're wearing bells and they've got bear spray and they've got all this stuff because it's merchandising. They've made the people afraid of the animal. We need to coexist with the animals. The animals are there. Basically, they're just putting up with us. And most of the people that are in the park are not native. They're mostly foreign in a lot of cases. They have no idea what a bear does or what an elk does or what a buffalo. They never heard a buffalo sing or, or dance or have a, you know, they they don't know any of this. And, and that's where we've broken down in, in our relationship of education to the people. Is we need to have tribal people talking about the, the animals as a spiritual connection instead of an educational mind connection, you know, science. We've grown away from our spiritual connection. And Yellowstone is a good place because there's no guns. There's no hunters. There's no fences. There's no cows. So you can walk out and get eaten by a grizzly if you want. Most of the people there, they have no understanding and no respect for the animals. And that's yearly. We hear about the goring and, uh, you know, being chased down by the buffalo, protecting their children, protecting themselves uh, as, as a species. And I want to go back to March 1st of 1872, where the House bill was passed. But they also were infringing on native treaty rights back then. And I think that's what we gloss over. Is the land going to survive the overall humanity or the, the sea of humanity without disrupting uh, the life cycles there in Yellowstone. And that was one of the best things that the government's ever done. Um, unfortunately, you know, I look at Yellowstone as a, as the reservation. No different than we are on a reservation, the, the animals are on a reservation. And so I, I look at it as just an extension of the reservation, except for that it's holding animals instead of Indians. But if an animal comes out of the park, it gets shot. So it was the same for us when we left the reservation. So we're related to that and those animals. And the buffalo were reduced in Yellowstone to 20 head by 1906. And now they have increased. They're just like the Indian people. Is that we were reduced and we are now we're increasing. I see us and the buffaloes in Yellowstone, we're, we're so related that we're entwined. But we have forgotten our relationship of who the buffalo are to us. We are the keepers of the buffalo. We are the ones that, they are a higher spiritual connection than we are. And so what's happened in a lot of cases is the Indians are being used when the buffaloes come out of the park to harvest the buffaloes. 
to make it look good so that it looks like, oh, the Indians are killing them and eating them. But you know, one of the things that's the saddest thing is to go to a ceremony and see that buffalo skull with a bullet hole in its head. And because that has been given to the Indians miraculously, it, it, when it was alive, it was considered a hazardous material. I mean, that's phenomenal. No other religion in the world has that kind of treatment and disrespect. So, you know, this, this summer, what's going to end up happening is a lot of people are going to come forward and say lots of things, just like they did when we had the Lewis and Clark thing. A lot of academics are going to make their statement. But, you know, we all have stories, and those stories are sacred stories of our people. And we need to share them with each other. And we need to talk and talk about it instead of making a, a press release or a letter to the editor or something. We need to talk amongst ourselves and put the phone the cameras away. The other thing we need to do is recognize the water. Yellowstone Lake feeds into the Missouri, which feeds into the Mississippi, which feeds into the Gulf of Mexico. That water from that lake travels all the way down and touches all of those people. And we need to go thank the water for it. I was thinking about how donations are basically a fee. This is how you pay for seeing the sites. But in, in the older way, which we're losing too as Native people, is that we pay respect for being with the land, a different mm -hmm. thing. And, mm -hmm. and when we understand the cycle of the waters, it goes halfway as far as a resource. And, and in Latin, R-E-S means property. So mm -hmm. reservation, resource, all that is property of the people who made up that law. And, it, uh, you know, you and I know that air is free and water is free, but look what we're doing to it now. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing as being able to see something. You cannot see it unless you pay for it, so to speak, like a movie. Yeah, entertainment. But your, your final thoughts on this new celebration coming up 150 years ago. Well, so what I plan to do is th there will be some kinds of events going on. And what I'm planning to do is uh, my brother John and I will go up to Lake Yellowstone Lake and we'll ask the lake and the water to take care of all the animals and all of the things and we'll, we'll show respect. And what I'd like to ask and offer is to all of the mixed bloods and all of the full bloods and all of the off-reservation Indians and all the on-reservation Indians and all of the indigenous people to go to the water, go to the source, go to the headwaters, go to the springs and thank it and ask that we have a better understanding of who we are on this planet as, as a human being. We go and we look and we take pictures, but we forget that actually we need to touch and we actually need to embrace the nature, you know, because those wild animals, aren't they don't have much time left. They're running out of time. And people need to realize that earth, wind, fire and water, that's what holds this whole thing together in the universe. And if we're not careful, it will come and balance itself and we won't be involved anymore. We need to appreciate what we have. And as Native people, those are the things we're required to do. You know, we're to appreciate the water. That's what keeps makes us different. And so in Yellowstone, this is going to be a big, it's going to be a big circus. I don't encourage people to come 
unless you're given a dream, then come. But if you're uh, just sitting around wanting a vacation, you know, go to camping and go to a lake and go to the mountains or go to the streams or the swamp, whatever. Uh, go to the ocean and, and thank it for being who it is. Santi and Crow Elder Scott Fraser is founder and CEO of Project Indigenous. And it's an honor to have you here. And information is available available at projectindigenous.com. And I'd like to thank you, Scott, for being here. And we'll think about this the other way about uh, celebrating 150 American way, 150 years of, of being there at Yellowstone. And these voices that we hear on this program, First Voices Radio, they're far and few between now because the elders are getting older and someday we may not be able to hear these words spoken from the land, from Yellowstone, from where we are, from the river, from the tree, and American ways to go to those places because that's how far in distance we are apart from that. So thank you again, Scott Frazier, for being here on First Voices Radio. We'll see you next time. Thanks for all you do. That's uh, saying, we'll see you soon. And you're listening to Teokas and Ghost Horse. This is First Voices Radio. And we always sometimes say, <laughs> that doesn't fit right. We always sometimes say, And I would say that, you know, it's not just that humans are getting, the elders are passing away. The, the earth seems to be doing this. When, when our view from the ground up, not from the, Top on down as we sit here in the Western world. We look to the, to the earth, but if you're from the earth, you know how it is going with the humanity being so out of rhythm with the earth. So, Unshimalaye Oyate Wanewachichuelo. This is Tiokasen Ghost Stories. Thank you for joining us and see you next time. <laughs>